Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. Why don't we kick it off with Birds of Prey? Number one from DC Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero. This is Black Canary, putting together a new, incredibly dangerous team of heroes or anti-heroes in order to do something mysterious. I'm not going to mention what it is right off because this is part of the plot of the book is why she's putting together this team while she's building them up. Uh, and uh, that's the, one of the big reveals at the end. Among other things, I thought this was a perfect first issue what about you guys? Ooh, perfect. This is my pick of the week, and it's it's a great first issue, and it's a different type of book for DC. I feel like this has the art, the vibe feels very much like a Marvel book using some great DC characters. I love the character selection. There's some uh, like a, almost a Kirby-esque vibe to it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed every bit of this. Yeah, I really thought, first off, some epic covers. Uh, I love the old school look to the art. It, it's, it has this like... Really great feel to it, like you guys are saying. Uh, I love the start with uh, kind of a big fight scene going on. Uh, Then uh, kind of people uh, forming this team in this way. And I think it's a great... It's a great team. Everybody's bringing something. So I'm very excited uh, uh, how how this is all going to go. I feel like this is such a great setup. The birds are back. Yeah, these getting the band together books can be kind of boring sometimes or feel very samey. This does not because Kelly Thompson, master of character, master of plot here. There's the ongoing, there's the overall mystery of why Black Canary is putting together this team that really drives things and drives all the emotional stakes of everything that's happening. Trust me when I say when it's finally revealed, what the stakes are. It matches up to it. I spent most of the book thinking, whatever this is, this can't be as big as Black Canary is saying. Oh, and come on. It's, it's bigger, you know? Yeah. Like, it, the stakes are unimaginable in this book. But also, the team is fun. The characterizations are fun. And like you guys are saying, the art has this really great, very purposeful 60s, 70s vibe to it in terms of the way that's paced out. It feels to me like how Nightwing was a natural extension of Hawkeye. This is a natural extension of Nightwing that pushes it forward in a very different way. So I'm really excited about this book, and I can't wait to follow it. Agreed. Same, same. Let's move on and talk about Ghost Rider Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance Omega number one from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Jeff Shaw. I'll just say right off, I'm really looking forward to the number one, number two issue. Can't wait to see where they take this. going to be great. Omega number two, going to be so cool. This is actually the end of a very long crossover of four issues between Ghost Rider and Wolverine, where... They've kind of switched powers, but not really at all. Oh, you got the Helverine. Helverine is what happens. Yeah. Yes. Here's, Here's what a- I want to know is if we, if we get Helverine here, when do we get Ghost Bub? Mm. <laughs> oh, I know you're joking, but that was one of my problems with this 
finish here. Like I liked how yeah. this started and it got so complicated by the end with so many different elements. We've got Mephisto here. We've got demons infesting young boys. There's government conspiracies. When like the simplicity of Ghost Rider and Wolverine back in the day <laughs> tried to kill this little boy, it didn't work. And that's coming back to bite them in the ass years later. Yeah, I love strange. That. <laughs> well, strange weird ideas. plot, but like yeah. straightforward and I got it. And by four issues in, I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. Beyond the fact that like they didn't fully switch them, you get Ghost Rider who's still Ghost Rider and Wolverine who is also Ghost Rider. It made me think of the, this is a stupid comparison, but the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book, which like hit that switch perfectly of the, of course, the TNT. Pete, why are you, why are you stressed? I mean, this why is exactly in your wheelhouse. Like getting the Power Rangers dressed as the turtles by the end doing ninja stuff and getting the turtles powering Zords by the end. That's what you got to do to be satisfied with this sort of book. And that's not what I got here. Well, anyways, uh, I thought, <laughs> you know, we had this fun idea of Helverine, right? What if it was a cross of Ghost Rider and Wolverine? So we got that. And I'm glad that it wasn't like how we're going to move forward with any of the characters. I'm glad it got on. Oh, don't trash. Uh, Alex, is basement. there a ghost bub with you? Are you getting ghost bub? That's what happens when you talk shit. About, He's the uh, spookiest there is of what he does. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, yeah. saying your spooky. opinion, saying your opinion isn't technically talking shit. That's just uh, <laughs> this is a podcast, really. Well, anyways, my my point being, uh, it was a fun idea, fun to explore, and I'm glad it got undone. And they kind of had a nice cheers moment. I thought that was really nice kind mm. of moment for both of them while they were sitting there. So I thought it was uh, it was a fun idea and cool to kind of see uh, visually. It was like a fun mashup. So. I feel like it did its job. I'm with you, Alex. I found this to be a, just a little wobbly at the end. Um, when I think it was, they already set up plenty of stuff. If they just had a big, bad fight here, I think that would have been fun. Instead, it got a little bit like political. My, it was like the Phantom Menace level of like, wait, who's the trade pact with here that we're slicing our flame claws through? Uh, but um, but I, the idea of Wolverine and Ghost Rider, that should be an ongoing series, I think. Mm-hmm. I totally well, agree with team. that. Jeff Shaw, great art here, though. Yes. We'll say the Helverine design was very fun, regardless of what I said. Why don't we move on and talk about Terrace Apart, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jay Baruchel and Van Jensen, art by Alessandro Micelli? Micelli? Either way, whatever it is, this is about, well, there's a little bit of a mystery here, but you're following a bunch of kids who've been raised in a monastery-type environment to try to take over or save the world, one of the two. And what is revealed is that their master, one, puts them through these death games, but two, has some sort of mystical powers that literally can tear people apart. Ultimately, what we get is this love story where two people who are trapped there end up kind of through no fault of their own, escaping and bloodily and violently try to actually get out of this cult type situation. Pete, you're nodding your head. Yes, yes, yes. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I thought it was sweet. You know, finding love in a fight camp of death is a, it's a nice <laughs> idea. You know, you're the rom com like, guy, and that's the classic. Rom-com. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. classic meat cute of like when you know, Harry fought Sally is my favorite version of. It. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. 
Uh, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. I, I just think it's one of those things where. What? Um, it, it, Do you mean I'll have what she's having? Is that what you meant? No, I was making a notebook reference. You fucking asshole. Follow what? along, please. <laughs> well, Jesus. follow along. You're in chaos mode. You're in chaos mode. Um, uh, this man has no dick. Oh, wow. Nice job. Anyways. <laughs> While um, we're just saying things. Yeah, we're just saying lines for movies. Fun rom-com We're like that movies. great Regal promo they pulled because everybody hated it. Go on, Pete. Anyways, <laughs> super tight bananas art. I love the art in this. It's very cool looking, uh, very stylistic, which I appreciated. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested to check out uh, what happens to this adorable couple as they move forward with their lives. Um, I love the the love story here. And yep. for a this book, I was like, whoa, this is a lot going on here at first. But the mm-hmm. way it ended up, I was like, oh, it actually lands in such a clean spot where they really go to bat for each other. The the moments were really cinematic and well done. Um, the dramatic moments, great fights. This this book, I was like romantic romance and fight. Pete, Pete LePage. Yeah. yeah. This is like the freaks and geeks of comic books, right? Hey, oh, that's not what that is. No, wait. What was he in? What was Jay Baruch? He was in. Freaks no, he was in. He was in. Yeah. Um, and what's the one at uh, the college, college one? The college yeah. one. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, called... for a celebrity book, I think this is really well done. In particular, yes. also in case you're wondering about that, let's move on to talk about "Kill Your Darlings" number one from Image Comics, written by Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan, art by Bob Quinn. We have a whole team on the live show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked to them about this very book and oh, asked them questions it. about it, and they answered those questions like... about it when they were on the live show so you can listen to it pete what did you want to say i was just it's too bad we didn't interview him about the book (laughs) this is about well a lot of things but the main thrust of the plot is a young girl who is having some sort of visions or picturing some sort of fantasy world that is something evil is rotten in the middle of it whether it's real or whether she is having a psychotic break not 100 clear but you know, we when we talked about this on the show, we certainly plussed it up quite a bit for them. But I will say, without them on the show, this book is great. Like I, I mentioned stuff of legend uh, when we were talking about it on the show. This oh, reminds yeah. me of that a little bit. Um, also, it feels like the sort of thing that I guess we'll see how it goes. But it could potentially blow out like a lock and key with mythology. Um, mm. I was thinking like I a know. I kill giants type mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. where you That's have a, a main well. character dealing with trauma and they kind of uh, come up with different scenarios around that trauma. Uh, I, it, this is a really intense first issue. It's super type bananas art. Really cool execution. They do a great job of like giving you just enough information to kind of understand what's going on and still feel like you're kind of in the main character's head a little bit. But man, just a, a solid first issue. Can't wait for the next issue. I think this is such a cool world and unique take. I'm excited for more. Uh, we talked about this a bit when we had him on, but like, um, I think the art really opens up in a storybook way. Once we get into the world, there's this great big uh, cave that um, appears and a oh, giant, yeah, the, the scale oh. of the monster. Like, very oh my cool. God. Oh, my God. One of the most terrifying goatsy memes I've ever seen. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a deep cut, my man. And I'm sorry to have heard it. 
<laughs> this book uh, is really, really good. It's a fun book, yeah. Yeah, if you're looking for a new, potentially, question mark fantasy book that has some real deep, dark psychological underpinnings, definitely check this one out. Blue Beetle, number one, from DC Comics, written by Josh Trulio, art by Adrian Guterres. This is the same team who worked on Blue Beetle Graduation Day that we like quite a bit. Is this new status quo for Blue Beetle where there's a bunch of other Beetles? It's very... Not to keep calling them out, but it's very Power Ranger style with all these different colored beetles. It is. All in the Future Tech series, the city, excuse me, that you probably saw in the movie. Yeah, and, follows right uh, up from the movie. Pretty much. So if you did see the movie, wow. this is a great thing to go and pick up immediately afterwards. But what did you guys think about the comic book? This made me long for the days when Blue Beetle was sort of on his own a little bit. Like, I like mm-hmm. the the Ted Cord of it all here. And I actually yeah. like the villain introduction in the back half of this book. But all the extra Beatles just devalues our, our guy, I feel like, a little bit. But the, the whole point, because we, we reread the first uh, arc of the series when we were doing our Blue Beetle lead-up podcast. And I was like, oh, man, he was such like a one-of-one one unique hero and this feels like now we're in a mix of power rangers or even the the green lantern stratification yeah i feel like this is uh, a great first issue setting things up some shit goes down i don't want to spoil but uh yeah i feel like um once that we get past the kind of big Mm -hmm. event i'm very excited to see what's going to happen i think they got a great team on this Art's really uh, fantastic, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more. I I think it, it's a little bit like the Green Lantern thing. It's even more like the different forces with the Flash when they introduced that, like the still force and the slow force and everything, where you did have all of right. these different colors. But I do think the team really puts in the work in this first issue to recenter it on Jaime as much as possible, which I appreciated. It's... A little, you can see the gears turning to be like, we have all of these elements, but it's about Jaime. And there's another Ted Cord is here, but it's about Jaime. Yeah. So that's exactly. they, they know what's up. Like, they know uh, all of these people here. And I appreciate the fact that, like, they know it needs to be about Jaime. So I trust that in the long term, they're going to keep him front and center in the series. But also, I guess we'll uh, see. George Lopez is hilarious. Oh, no, that's the movie. I'm, I'm that's not that movie. movie. Well, <laughs> He hangs out. But you hear George Lopez's voice in a lot of comic characters when you read them, right? Absolutely. Including our next comic character we're going to be talking about, who definitely has the voice of George Lopez, Scarlet Witch number eight from Marvel, Mm. written by Steve Orlando, art by Lorenzo Tabetta and Sarah Pacelli. In this issue, Scarlet Witch is hanging out with her dad's clone, Joseph, and traveling to Asgard to hang out with Loki and have a truth battle with him. Yes, what's up, Justin? Isn't Magneto not her dad anymore? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. Like, I, I legitimately, like, that whole thing that they did where they're like, oh, he's not her dad. And they're not mutants. But maybe he's her dad. But also, don't whatever. Lie. I'm like, this is too, no. Stop it. Yeah. Like, there's retcons. And this, like, this is not actually adding anything to it. But whatever. Agreed. Let's talk about this book, which is yeah. great. Every this issue. This book is great. I, I, I love think, this book. Yeah. I think Steve Orlando and this team on this is really killing it. I love, uh, you know, the kind of pace and everything that we're having right now. This is just so much fun. The truth off with Loki was a blast. Um, Darcy killing it, as always. Uh, the art is great. I love what's going on in this comic, and I feel like they're really hitting a great stride. 
Uh, I agree. Like, this is one of my favorite reads every week. And this is the one I mentioned in the live show that reminds me of that classic James Robinson book, Firearm, from the Ultraverse. And that's sort of a, if you've never read that, sort of a retro, (laughs) what? No, I just like that your new thing is dropping firearm in every podcast that we do. That's just two because it happened when I was reading. Uh, so okay. uh, get off. I won't say it anymore. It's recently yeah, right. biased because you just read it. So now it's everything is about it. No, but I didn't recently re- read firearm. I, that's what I'm saying. I recently read Scarlet Witch because we talk about a topical um, comic book uh, comic book on our podcast. Alex, all you talk about is Power Rangers. So get out of here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, I like the use of Sick Joseph burn. here. Um, interesting character to sort of pick up and make a part of this. I actually thought the romance, the, sort of the gesture toward the romance between Loki and Scarlet Witch was really interesting. Yeah. It feels like that's not what it's about, but that was great. Like, it's hard to see someone go toe-to-toe with Loki. You always see someone going to battle with Loki, and then they're like, well, they're going to get tricked. And Scarlet Witch wins straight up. I thought it was really well done. This is one of my favorite books every week. One thing I'll throw out there that occurred to me while reading this issue is Steve Orlando is the first writer in a really long time that has respected Scarlet Witch's sanity. Like everybody always plays with she's on the brink of crumbling at any moment and sobbing and crying in her mental breakdown here as he always does with all of his books, he's taking the totality of her history and being like the sum no. totality of her psychic force. Exactly. Psychic knife. Uh, That's she, my thing. <laughs> and, and treating her like, yeah, she knows all of these characters. She has been part of the Marvel universe forever. She's building herself back up. She has some issues she's dealing with, but she's dealing with them as a person. Yeah. It's great. Hunt for the Skidwalker, number one for Boob Studios, written by Zach Thompson, art by Valeria Burzo. This is a weird project, and I say that complimentarily, because it is an adaptation of the classic Hunt for the Skidwalker, which is about, whether it's true or not, a bunch of bizarre, strange things that happened at a ranch back in the day. You're not, you don't believe in it? Uh Oh, here we go. This is what I wanted to happen. (laughs) That may or may not be proof that aliens exist or something else exists. It's not 100% clear, but this is an adaptation of that. It is not really Department of Truth, which is what I thought it was going to be. It's a little more Blue Book. If you read that book for Mm -hmm. whom, I would put it in the same vein as that. I agree. Like this had a similar, just the way the sort of narration is done. It's very newsy and um, that I think worked, but I was a little bit lost in what was happening because they were like, Mm -hmm. they kept, there's this RV and I was like, that's, it's not clearly not an RV. I was like, how could anyone mistake this for an RV? (laughs) The idea that the skinwalker felt like more of a horror thing. And then it ended up being alien. It's, it just feels like they assumed I knew a lot about this going in and I did not. Pete, let's turn it over to our believer in skinwalker. Pete, you met a skinwalker. Tell us. Okay. Yeah. First off, let's back up the truck (laughs) and just to, in case you're confused by what Justin said a little bit, it's not like Newsies the musical. Mm-hmm. It's like right. a, a you know a Newsies news the program, movie yeah, with nope. Christian Bale. No, nope. no, not yeah. that either. As Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. I meant Newsy though, um, hipster news video maker that is sort of a scam, oh, yeah. maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Like a well, bad now this. Uh, <laughs> Yo, right? Put that on a T-shirt. What a roast of all of our news media. <laughs> yeah, I just think they they took some uh, fun, interesting, like the the ship that looks like a giant kind of like thin box is cool and unique. You don't see stuff like that. You've seen like 
different UFO depictions, but I just think that this is a little, little different, little unique. It's got its own history and lore, which is interesting. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, why not? Um, you know, that's what comics were for, for exploring ideas and different things that are happening. I guess I'm sort of with Justin here in terms of not knowing anything about Hunt for the Skidwalker and reading this where if people are like there were animals and they were dissolving and there was a man with a skull face that attacked us and a box ship that's flat that was flying. And then later on, another man was in a box. I was like, why does anybody believe this? Nothing in the, like this sounds insane. That was my big takeaway too. I was like, what? This is one thing. I was like, this feels like they slammed all the X files into one like a thing. And I was like, okay. I, but they're like, no, it's this one rancher. Who's like absolutely disinterested. He's like weird wolf floating RV. Just another day in the world. I was like, what, what is this guy? He didn't you even talk to rancher, about it. You've seen some stuff. Man. I guess. You know I, mean? I don't know. I was with it with the skidwalker stuff because I was like, like the, like, Okay, there's animals and they're dissolving. I guess they're leaving the skids behind. And then there's some sort of Native American prophecy type thing. And there's a dude with a skull face. I get this. But when they started working the ships, I was like, no, they had a gas leak. They, they had a gas leak on yeah. their ranch. And that's what was going on. This is not real. No, stop. Sorry, Pete. I know Sorry, you what? <laughs> Did you grow up on this ranch, Pete? Why are you a skinwalker believer? Uh, because it's it's real, man. I've seen some stuff. You know what I mean? Like upstate New York, you've seen some stuff, bro. Like what, what animal stuff? did they walk the skinwalker enter? A squirrel or some sort of garbage plate? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just a garbage plate walker is just a bad covered in hamburger. Yeah. Cheeseburger. Pete's guys. greatest nightmare. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I'm your sorry. sleep paralysis, David <laughs> Pete, is a walking garbage plate. <laughs> Just crawling up your bed like, eat, eat me before I eat you. I win that battle uh, 10 times out of 10, by the way. Like 10 out of 10? Uh, I don't know why I found that so funny. All right. The Sacrificers number two from Image Comics written by Rick Amender. I guess I was picturing like a little garbage plate crawling up your chest while you were sleeping. That's like a great 80s horror movie idea. Your greatest meal comes to kill you. Yo, that's a perfect horror short. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. <laughs> the Sacrifices number two from Image Comics written by Rick Remender, art by Max Fabora. This is about a bunch of things, but the big thing this issue is about is there is a bird kid who has been taken somewhere, we don't know why, potentially to be sacrificed in some way to gods, maybe given some sort of eternal reward. We're not 100% sure, but this issue 
We follow him and a bunch of other sacrifices that they're working their way towards something. Pete, you love this issue. Take it away. Yeah, I just I love the art style. I love how the story starts. It feels really kind of like epic. Um, uh, I just think that like. Has a crazy, unique ending. This is uh, just a fun letters page. I just think that this is a big swing for Remender, and I'm all about it. I think this is a very weird, kind of interesting start to a book. Um, normally, uh, when he kind of starts something, it's a little bit more straightforward. Forward, so like I think that this is kind of uh, cool and, and different, and I'm excited to see what story this is going to be about and what this is going to really entail. Because right now we're kind of in the dark on on purpose here of what's going on and uh, we're slowly getting answers. But man, just so unique, so different looking. I I love it. I love Remender and this fills on just another great slot on the Remender bookshelf. Like has the same like darkness, Bad people acting bad with maybe a redeemable quality. You never quite know what's happening, but you're riding so hard with your main characters. Like, he's so good at that. And the way he's been digging deeper and deeper into fantastical worlds in some of his books lately. Like, uh, what was um, uh, Heaven? uh, Seven to Eternity. Yeah, Seven to Eternity. Yeah. uh, Was so good. And this is like right, it feels like a next step after that. And I'm enjoying it. He always chooses great artists as well. Yeah, I was going to call out that in particular because the these both have hyper detailed art and hyper detailed fleshed out fantasy worlds they're also both very much dealing with the battle between faith and power and fantasy and worshiping gods and things like that so really really good book uh it's gonna get dark don't worry pete it'll be very upsetting before it ends you don't know that no, the spoiler, they end up at a place that's really beautiful with the swing set. You think that's going to turn out nicely for them, Pete? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't. I think we got some trouble coming for our game. Yeah, no, real trouble right here in River City. Real sunny comic from Rick Remender. You guys will uh First time really for anything. Sh- that's right. Everything. Fire and Ice, welcome to Smallville, number one from DC Comics, written by Joanne Starer, art by Natasha Bustos. Fire and Ice spinning out of... I, I think it was Action Comics, but I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it was a uh, yes. special. I don't it know. It was a special uh, that is it, it's listed yeah. in the book. Whatever it is, they basically messed up big time, and Superman said, hey, why don't you chill out and go to Smallville for a while? So the pitch of this book, whether it pans out or not, in your opinion, is Shit's Creek, but set in Smallville. So it's Fire and Ice moving in, setting up shop in a... Abandoned barbershop, beauty salon, beauty and salon. they. It's called uh, Tease Me. Don't tease me. I believe. Don't tease me. And uh, like yeah, while Fire is trying to build up the re- reputation as heroes, Ice is just trying to get along and live and hang out with Ma Kent and have a good time. What'd you guys think about this one? Yeah, I thought this was fun. Um, you know, spoilers. Uh, the the couple goes through a bunch of stuff, but I like the Superman and King Shark cameo. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying this en- enough to really check out what's going to happen. I feel like they did a good job in this issue of kind of giving us a little bit of a, a teaser of what's to come, and uh, I'm all in. I also like this. It's funny coming from seeing Ice 
uh, over in Human Target, mm-hmm. uh, which is so good. And this, it's like, oh, this is like more of a regular character without all the like nuance and development and all that that, that happened in that book. Uh, but Fire and Ice, great combo. I love the, there's a cover that shouts out, not necessarily the Justice League. Love that stuff. Uh, this is playing right into that. I, reading this, though, I was like, why is fire green? Do we know that? I don't know. Maybe it's fire, like a traditionally. Green, well, Green different. Lantern, Alan Scott has that whole fire thing. Like, he's not actually a Green Lantern. He has a whole other thing going on. So maybe it's right. that. Possibly. You think they're – but they're not related. No. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying stuff. Well, I love I, stuff. Cool. I love is, stuff in comics that you're just like, oh, someone just decided that once. They just drew her green, and then now it's like, well, but what's the underlying Kryptonian or mm-hmm. like Alan Scott reference for me? This is very piloty. This book, and I don't say that as a bad thing. It's very much like here's our supporting cast, and here's where they are, and here's where it's going on. It's very much like setting up the sitcom nature of what's going to happen with them, but. They're charming characters. Like Pete said, there's a bunch of charming sequences in here as well. So I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to more. Next, let's turn to one of the biggest issues of the week, Fantastic Four number 11 from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho. In this Mm -hmm. issue, the thing goes through a whole Wizard of Oz situation with the dog he really doesn't like at all. And spoilers. But then, by the end of the issue, he likes the dog. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Yeah, so I can see why you would call this one of the biggest issues of the week exactly. because guy hates dog, then uh, by the end mm-hmm. loves, loves dog. Them. So huge issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is a cute Ben Grimm story. You know, Ben Grimm and the dog saving the day. Really solid art. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't think it was that crazy of an issue, but I think it's an adorable little uh, one-shot kind of thing. Why did you think it is the, such a big issue, Alex? He gets a dog. That's huge. Oh, just from like a life choice for him. Yeah, like oh. a life choice. Like that's a, that's going to change your whole life now. Like you got to yeah. take care of that dog. You got to walk that dog. Thing yeah. isn't going to be available for missions anymore because he'd be like, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't go out. My dog, we're house trading him right now. Yeah, or, yeah like I can go on an adventure, but we got to be back at five so I can take yeah. the dog for a walk. You know? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I love, this changes I, everything. This changes everything. Uh, wow. The ever-loving blue-eyed dog walker. Uh, I love the title of this book that's revealed at the end, if you don't remember. It's Slobber in Time. Whoop, oh, there we are. Oh, come on, man. But I want to shout out this run on Fantastic Four that is just so idea-dense. I feel like just the sort of reverse engineering of all these stories that are have, that Ryan North has been doing has been so awesome. And pulling random villains, setting in the Fantastic Four in a farmhouse where they don't have a bunch of cool shit to steal, as we learned in this issue, was really cool. And just the way that all the characters really have to reason their way out of things is fantastic. So I've been loving this. It's fantastic. I agree. Fantastic Four. Firefly, The Fall Guys, number one for Boom Studios, written by Sam Humphreys, art by Jordi Perez. In this issue, the crew of the Serenity is being pulled out of another job. As you can probably figure out from the title, they're going to get blamed for something really bad by the end of the issue. What do you guys think about this one? I think this is just a a fun, great kind of team up, crazy ending. Excited to read more. Wow. Uh, hip hip review there from Pete. I We've been talking a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy and how it feels a little Serenity Firefly-esque. 
And reading this, I was like, oh, this is what I wish Guardians mm. was, was a little bit more just like rough and tumble where you actually sort of get to to be with them and have them realize like they fucked up. And it just makes you realize how close the vibe is on both of these books. But um, I, I thought this was great. It's great to hang out with them again. I was just thinking earlier today, I was on a long car trip. I was like, I want to watch, rewatch Serenity, one of uh, my favorite movies. Yeah. And a lot of these comics have been following up on the movie. So everybody has been in different places. So to have most of the crew back together again in this comic felt very good, you know, because they worked well exactly. together. So very enjoyable. Well, so Quest, much of it is like, we're friends. Let's be friends. I was like, what a nice vibe. Yeah. I feel good. the same way. We should say that on this podcast. No, I don't think so. Quest number two from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Luna and Crystal Wood, art by Jonathan Luna. In this issue, our two questers continue to quest on their quest as they quest to uh, answer the question of where that dude went. Yeah, I, th- this continues. <laughs> I think I feel True. like I really landed that one. You, you did. Are, that was I, a plane that you landed. Hard disagree. Uh, <laughs> this continues to be great. Uh, I really love this so far. Um, I like the start of this. I'm a little worried when it's the Lunar Brothers that's going to get too weird. But I, it's just uh, so one. Far, Does that make you feel better? Yeah, uh, sure. it's only going to get half as weird. Yeah, but um, yeah, I got a little weird weirded out when they kind of like. Uh, tentacle uh, stuff started to happen but uh yeah so we'll see we'll see how it goes but man so far i'm having a great time with this um i this this is like playing a video game uh, a lot like it feels like when they their dock is cut loose i was like oh i remember when this happened in like final fantasy or zelda where i my raft crossed directly across the stream and i got to the next place um it definitely gets the tentacle stuff i was like oh getting a little like uh, on the edge of what i want to see in this book uh, but I do I like some of the uh, the flashback we get in this and the way that the love story does seem to actually be the driver for it. Yeah. I want to see how some of these other characters are going to play in. Yeah, this is all right. This is not my favorite Luna thing that I've read. Like the concept doesn't seem as clear. It just seems like generic fantasy quest number 27. I do right. like slash dread the fact that like when you're playing a video game, to your point, Justin, they haven't fleshed out the whole map. You just sort of have this right. cloudy fuzz for the rest of it. Be, That's really funny. Yeah. And yes. looking at that, I was like, oh, no, there's a lot of this to go. Okay, let's see what happens. But, you know, I like Jonathan Luna's art still, so happy to take a look at it. Star Wars Dark Droids, number two from Marvel, written by Charles Soule, art by Luke Ross. Now... A evil entity has been called into the Star Wars universe and is taking over the droids. This issue, he slash it wants to take over the flesh as well and ultimately finds a semi-predictable, but in a pleasing (laughs) outlet for that by the end of the issue. Coming from a man wearing a Star Wars shirt. Yeah, sure. So we... We read the first issue of this, and we read one of the spinoffs. There's been a bunch of others, but Pete seemed very upset about the concept of the droids taking over, so I didn't want to bring in and didn't want to make us read the rest of them, but I felt like the main title, at least, we can follow along with, given that the plot is presumably going to be pushed forward there. So what did you guys think about the second issue? Well, this was kind of heartbreaking. I mean, uh, seeing three CPO go bad and then throw R2-D2 into fucking space 
Charles Soule, you're killing me. You're, <laughs> you're, you're ripping you're, my fucking you, you're, soul You seem out. upset, actually upset. But you know R2 is fine. He's indestructible. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen him. He can fly around in space and stuff like that. But, it, you know. You had to like the fact that the evil dude was like, hmm, R2, that's a warrior. I'm going to need yeah. him later. It's yo. It's funny you say that. I'm sorry, P, to interrupt you, P, but like there is a weird sort of sexual undertone to the droid narration. I feel like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's I feel a little like, like you're, I you're must that on there. I must eat. I love to eat. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get in that flesh. I yeah. love flesh. How can I get in that flesh? Cyborgs. I'm into cyborgs. <laughs> yeah, I think and, and no are, one else. I think just you guys are too? putting that on there a little bit, but um, uh, yeah, I uh, we got a little. Uh, tease of the big bad here so uh, i'll be interested to see how this all goes down justin i um i really like this crossover in that it's the first thing that feels like it actually feels big and it feels like there won't be consequences for our main characters in the star wars universe but it feels like a real crossover where there's some dread the use of c3po is really interesting and you know when, once we get to inevitably get to Darth Vader, I'm like, will that start to feel a little rote? Uh, since we know so much about Darth Vader and it's hard to find a crack to put a story in. Uh, we'll see how it gets there. But I think Charles Soule is doing a great job with this. Yep. Next up, Batman 137 from TC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Jimenez. This is continuing the... Uh, Gotham War storyline, which is pitting Catwoman against Batman. Catwoman has made some real progress with crime in Gotham City by making crime a little more careful and a little less deadly. But Batman isn't having any of that. It has broken the Bat family in two because some of them are like, I don't know, she's got rid of a bunch of crime. And Batman is like, no, no crime is good crime. Um, I really like this. And one of the things that I really like is that Chip Zdarsky over the course of his run for the, maybe the first time ever reading Batman has created uh, cracks in Batman's armor. Like to borrow the Mm. phrase you just said, Justin, but like, I, I legitimately believe that Batman has lost a step here, which is something other than Dark Knight Returns, which has a older Batman, you never believe. Like, it's yeah. it's the sort of thing, this is a very weird thing to bring up, but I think about this all the time. There was, I think it was Tomorrow Never Dies or whatever movie, Pierce Brosnan movie, there's one of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, like the first scene, he falls and he bags his knee. And I remember the producers being like, this is a big deal because James <laughs> Bond bags his knee in the first scene. And then like his knee hurts a bunch over the course of the movie. And it's a really big thing for Bond. And I was like, man, what are you talking about? Come on. And that's oh, what most of Batman's stories feel like. We're like, ooh, bad things happen to Batman. He's really losing a step, but he's not. He's still Batman. Here, he's lost a hand. He has been asleep for eight weeks. Catwoman has taken over. Most of the Batman is like, I don't know. She kind of has the right idea. Like, and the Batman of Zurad R is not even the background, but the foreground being like, I'm about to take over your mind. You're going to lose your entire mind, dude. This is like, I am nervous for Batman reading this run in a way that I have never been the entire time that I've been reading Batman. 
And that's hard to do because I feel like so much of Batman is about putting going the other way and being like he's infallible. He has this darkness and it hardens him. He knows everything. He's the greatest detective. He's the greatest fighter. No matter where he goes, like Darkseid's scared of him. It's like Darkseid's a god, a stone god. And he's like this human who's got pointy ears. But so I, I agree with you. I like finding those those holes here for him. And I just want to shout out the art in this, though, is fantastic. Yep. Like, not to take the words out of your mouth, probably, Pete, but, like, reminds me of, like, Nick Dugoda art in the way that it's just, like, very – it's a little bit, like, manga influence, maybe. And it just really works in this book, I thought. Yeah, this, this is very it, – it's tough because it's a very cool, interesting idea to kind of put the Bat family in, right? Because it's splitting the family down the middle and – people are choosing sides so it's it's hard because i don't like to see the family fighting and it's uh it's kind of heartbreaking to see people going against batman a little bit but uh it's an interesting idea to kind of throw at the bat family to see what's going to happen i really was impressed by the execution of this idea where batman's just going to work he's taking out pawns he's trying to do what he does, but it's going to be this crazy kind of thing of like, if he's working his way up, he's going to just get to Catwoman, and then what's he going to fucking do? So uh, I'm very <laughs> interested, but also I'm kind of scared of the ramifications of this and what it's going to mean for Bat and Cat, and then also, uh, you know, who's going to kind of just no longer roll with Batman anymore after this. So I'm a little worried about what's going to go down. Uh, and also I, I don't like it when, uh, you know, the parents are fighting. So it's going to, it's, I'm very much torn. Um, but I loved the kind of like uh, Damon, like jumping in and like saving uh, his dad. That was really kind of cool and, and a great moment, but man. Uh, yeah. I'm, 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 like you said, Alex, I'm scared to see what's going to happen here. And you don't normally get that with a Batman comic where you're just kind of like, all right, how's Batman going to figure this out? How's he going to kind of do this? So uh, it'll be interesting to see what goes down after all this. And a great, completely unexpected cliffhanger that I have no idea where that's going to go from here. Masters of the Universe Forge of Destiny, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Eddie Nunez. I believe this is a prequel series to the animated series from Kevin Smith that is running on Netflix. We're getting a Prince Adam who is new to being He-Man teaming up with some folks and trying to take down the burgeoning threat of Skeletor. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is a fun nostalgia bath here where you're just kind of uh, having some fun with He-Man. You know, Adam just wants to blow up some steam. He wants to sneak into a bar, chug some beers when nobody's <laughs> looking. You know, typical He-Man stuff. Uh, no, yeah, this is different. This is kind of fun. It's it's uh, You're really spending some time with these characters. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, anytime Skeletor is in the mix, I'm a, I'm a happy camper. So uh, I'm having a blast with this. Uh, it struck me, this this book started with, like, Skeletor, a dark mage from a neighboring universe. I was like, whoa, what? I thought he was just a weird dude in that castle. And then the more the book opened up, and, like, all these characters, I feel like, I are really interesting and obviously were created as toys years ago. But the, there's, no back, there's no backstory. I just want to get into Ram Man's head, you know? Oh, yeah. 
He's a thinker, that guy. Swan Songs, number three, from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Felipe Andrade. Each issue of this anthology series is about the end of something. In this case, it's the end of the end of the world. We get a riff on the Adam and Eve story with a bunch of twists in there. This is... Phenomenal, the, particularly for Felipe Adrad's art. Which yeah, you got loved it. Superb, the superb type bananas. It's uh, Alex's yeah, <laughs> worth it for the art alone. Here, this is magnificent. This is glorious. This is a, just a beautiful comic on so many levels. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the story's an interesting, fun twist on the thing we've seen a ton. Um, but uh, just the pages, the panelings, every, the brightness of it, the you know, it's just it jumps out, slaps you in the face. It's so good. You you feel like it slapped you in the face? Yeah, you can't ignore but with it. quality. It's like, yeah. So like, if I see you and I'm like, Pete, that was what you just said was so funny. I should slap you in the face because <laughs> I enjoyed it. You go like ahead and quality. try, see what happens. It seems like that's what you like. Seems to bring no, you pleasure. No, I'm just saying it's art that's so good you can't ignore it. You know what I mean? You can't be like, oh, hum. It's oh, just hum. like, oh, my God. It's so, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed this book as well. Like, I feel like uh, with this 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 book and all of and the Ice Cream Man book, like, can do no wrong. And it, I just, it's amazing that both these books can sort of live up to the hype that we've built up internally for it. Because we, and I, I love the anthology nature of this. So, like. It's great. The Amazing Spider-Man number 33 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Patrick Gleason. In the last issue of this book, Spider-Man got stabbed by Craven, who is actually Craven's son in Craven's body, with a spear that gave Spider-Man the sins of Norman Osborn, who is now a good guy called the Gold Goblin, and now Spider-Man is evil. And in this issue, Spider-Man decides to hunt Craven now that he is full of Norman Osborn's sins. And the whole issue is a very purposeful riff on Craven's last hunt. And I'm going to say a big no on this. What did you guys think? Why? Can you tell us why? Because I'm going to say a big no on this, not necessarily even for plot reasons, so much as like doing a warmed over retread of Craven's last hunt is so unnecessary. Wow. I just, I didn't, I don't need to read this. This is not adding anything. It is not revealing anything about Spider-Man T. It's not revealing anything about Peter Parker. It's not revealing. Maybe it's revealing something about Craven Jr. I guess, but like, even using the structure of the dialogue and thoughts that they had in Craven's Last Hunt, it just feels like a pale imitation. Yeah, um, it's also first off, Zab Wells is an amazing writer. Love his work. Um, I think that this is also kind of a ripoff when uh, you know uh, Spider-Man put on the kind of the black uh, costume, not the Venom, but like after Flash died and. There's kind of some real parallels between that and this as well. Uh, yeah, evil Spider-Man. Yeah, Well, but this is Spider-Man. It's evil in a different way. And I'm not, I feel like I'm the constant defender of this book and this run. And like, 
I just I feel like it is taking swings. It's they're just unpopular swings. <laughs> and I actually think and Isaiah Wells is operating in a lot of different tones. This feels like very different from the previous run, feels very different from the previous or sorry, arc and the previous arc before that. So I actually I don't know where it's going and I don't necessarily like this for Spider-Man, but it's very different. And I I like the originality of it, I guess. But that's my problem is it's not original. It's taking Craven's last hunt and taking it and flipping it onto Spider-Man. They're hitting the same beats down to Vermin. Is that the name of the rat dude yep. in Vermin. the subway tunnels down to burying Craven? If it goes in a different direction, happy to be wrong, happy to be 100% on board. But my problem here is my same problem I've had all along with a lot of the stuff in the latter half, I don't know what you'd call it at this point, because I liked a bunch of the first issues. I thought they were really intriguing and exciting and different because they were challenging Peter. We've lost yeah. sight of Peter Parker over the last dozen issues or so. Years, I, I would say years. I, we That is our well, disagreement. That's, that's a difference think, between you two. Yes, but that's what it's losing me here. One positive thing I'd say, Patrick Gleason, impeccable on art. There's a panel of Spider-Man shouting where you actually get to see his mouth stretching out the mask. Which, very cool, yeah. Very cool, and it yeah. deals with a problem of like, I always have a problem with the fact that like, his face is under there. It's very tight to his face. We should be seeing more of him. And <laughs> the fact that Patrick Gleason is really emphasizing that I thought was very nice. So there you go. City Boy... Number four from DC Comics, written by Greg Pak, art by Minkyu Young. In this issue, our city boy, who can talk to cities, is traveling to Bloodhaven to track down his mom. Of course, he bumps into Nightwing, who tries to help him along his journey. Another really good, very emotional issue of this series. I yeah, like this I, book, too. I feel like it's it's a it's a weird part of the the DC universe here and it feels like it's carving out its own area. I sort of I want to see City Boy go on a real tour of the different cities and that can, it can be almost like a journal of what each city means because that's the kind of definition of the DC universe that I feel like we don't get as much. Well, I yeah, I also think that would be fun, but I also really liked what they are teeing up, you know, um of who's coming next because I think that's a fun kind of a, a city meets swamp a situation there. Uh, but yeah. I think... Swear's Swamp Boy. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, anyway, I, I, th- I loved how he <laughs> talked shit out with Nightwing. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I love the back and forth uh, with the knives. Uh, you know, that whole thing was cool. I, I just think that uh, this is a unique character and Greg. it's in great hands with Greg Pak. He's telling a cool story and it, and it feels different, which is great because there's a lot of things in DC that feels very DC, but this feels like it's a little uh, different and creative, and it's a little bit on the outskirts and having fun in that in that space. So I'm all for it. You know, it'd be fun have City Boy go to DC, Washington DC. That would be like, oh yeah, fun little fun little riff. That's fun. And, or Washington State. Oh, Sorry, yeah. we're just saying we're just saying stuff now. Yeah, we're just saying yeah. whatever we want. That's what a podcast is. Wag number one. What? From Com- we can say whatever we want. <laughs> Literally anything. Wag okay, number well, one. I want to say, what if a garbage play ate Pete? 
I already said that. I already said that today. Oh, man. Now I feel bad. Uh, the funny thing is where I'm sitting recording. I shouldn't say this out loud. Uh, I can see my couch, and I'm picturing Pete sleeping on my couch in like a little garbage plate crawling up his chest. First thing, there's no such thing as a little garbage plate. They're all huge. <laughs> It has eyes. Does that help? Great. And like tiny Great little thought. stock arms. And the eyes are like little onions, though. Yeah. The eyes Ooh, are little onions. I like that. And the arms are and legs are French fries. So anyways, WAG has got some cool covers, interesting look to the comic. Uh, great uh, start. Uh, uh, you know, you got a gruff dude living in post-APOC world, saves a lady. Uh, they, uh, you know, they roam Earth together. Uh, I love the look and feel of this comic. It's fun. I don't know if I mentioned the creative team. It's written by Scott Hoffman, art by Juan Mabio. Scott, we had on the show a couple of weeks back. Live show, check that out. He talked a little bit about WAG there. Justin, what did you think of this one? Uh, this is fun. I feel like we've had a lot of apocalypse in this stack, or maybe it's just the order I read them in. So this one, I was like, ah, I was trying to find out how this world was different. And I feel like there's a moment where this gruff man, they find him and they're like, oh, and he makes sort of a little joke. And they're like, oh, a comedian. And then I thought for a couple of pages that he was a f- comedian. Like he was a famous, it was like if Jim Gaffigan <laughs> was in the apocalypse. And I was like, that's a cool idea. <laughs> uh, and then the book is not about that. False advertising for me. Uh but um, I, I do like where the characters that are paired together here. I'm curious to see where it goes. And the character of the book has a, a whole store of hot pockets, right? Like, which yeah. is that's yeah, trying to make them out of human flesh. Oh my god! The skin, the skin is the pockets. Untold no. Tales of I Hate Fairyland, number three from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, Dean Rankin, Fabio Moon, and Gabriel Ba. Art by Rochelle Aragno, Dean Rankin, Fabio Moon, and Gabriel Ba. This is an anthology series set in the world of I Hate Fairyland about a girl named Gert who is trapped. In the fairyland of the title, can't make it out, and she's very, very violent. So I <laughs> I enjoy this anthology series. I don't know what more to say about each issue necessarily, other than I like Scotty Young's take on it, like Dean Rankin, who's did a couple of issues, a delight to see Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba take on oh, some yeah. weird comedy stuff. Yeah, that's the, right in their wheelhouse. I, yeah, I think it's a great collection of uh, stories. Uh, if you like I Hate Fairyland, you'll like this collection of stories about it. And uh, yeah, they do a great job of making them a little different, but also feel like they still fit in the world. Yeah, it's just creative and it's tons of amazing art. Uh, I also liked the, the Moon Ba story in the back. I thought it was um, worth it, uh, worth it for that alone. I'm not a, as big of a Fairyland. I hate Fairyland, dude. Uh, but the this is my favorite version of it, where we get different takes on it and new Ooh. ideas. Moon Knight number twenty seven from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Federico Sabatini. Now we have not been keeping up with Moon Knight, but with the spoiler. Death of Moon Knight coming up very rapidly. I thought it was good to probably start paying attention to the series. Of course, we also like the creative team, but lots of stuff going on here as Moon Knight and his various personalities go inside another head with multiple personalities oh, in order man. to save him and take down the cabal that is menacing Moon Knight. What do you dudes think about this issue? Well, uh, uh, I felt like it was a, a too much... Moon, it's like the Moon Knight game of multiple uh, personalities and the power set coming in there. 
it was just it's a little too much, too much, too much on that. Sort of like what about Blue Beetle? It feels like you're losing the the specialness of the Moon Knight character when you literally have multiple Moon Knights and multiple people jumping into different heads and like sort of player selecting as they go, and it just makes it a little confusing. When I think what I want is just a more pared down, simple version of it. Uh, I think, but I, I do like um, I like the character of Moon Knight, so I. I'm hoping maybe once it punches through sort of these first ideas, it can get to something a little more easy to grasp. I agree. I, I think there's great story going on here. The story's good. Uh, and I love the art. I'm excited to see what happens next, but they're just the multiple moon nights and all that kind of stuff is kind of like, all right, but what, what is this about? So I, yeah, I, uh, I second uh, ditto. I second that emotion. Yeah. Ditto. Justice Society of America number six from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Marco Santucci. Now that the Justice Society has gotten rid of Perdigaton, they're ready to move on with the ramifications of Stargirl, the Lost Children, where Stargirl brought a bunch of lost in time sidekicks back to the main continuity of the DC universe. This issue is dealing with that. Some of them are teaming up with the Justice Society, some of them are going home. There's some big emotional moments here. This is a lot to deal with, I think. But as usual, Jeff Johns really digs into the emotional nature of these characters in a really nice way. And Marco Santucci's art is very good as well. You go. Oh, yeah. Well, I agree. I just think this is just a classically great uh, kind of uh, JSA comic here. You get to spend a little time with each character. And uh, I think this is just kind of great DC art. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I like this a lot as well. Like this, I've really enjoyed the way this book sort of kicked off. I like, it feels like it's the best Jeff Johns stuff we've gotten in a long time. And to see him a, continuing on with it, I feel like he's done so much just like little standalone pieces here and there. And to have him in this is really cool. It feels like we've got some classic looking art as well alongside him. It's just like good comics. Yeah. yeah the only thing that I throw out there is I think this is hurt a little by the fact that it's not coming out more regularly. I, I think the original plan was, to have Stargirl, The Lost Children, and JSA coming out at the same time, leading into three spinoff series to basically kick off a whole line. I'm glad they're keeping with the art. I'm glad they're giving, you know, Marco Santucci, Jeff Johns, whoever, the time they need to do it. That's always the preferable route. But just in terms of pace, this feels like a, you know, we were talking about Birds of Prey being a setup issue. This is a setup issue. You know, that's yeah. what this is. And I think that suffers from... If there was an issue that came out last month and an issue that came out next month, that would be very different from the last issue came out two, three months ago, something like that. And the next issue will come out on question marks, but that's all. We'll see. Per Evil, number two from Image Comics, <laughs> written by Mirka Andalfo, art by evil. Laura Braga. This is about an evil little child who is powered by evil demonic cats. And we get a lot of the mythology and answers about what has been going on in the first issue and the second issue, including why her mom spirited her away. What would you guys think about this? Did we get a lot of answers here? Mm -hmm. Alex? I don't know. I'm just I'm saying stuff. I'm saying hey, stuff on a podcast stuff. and it's fine. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, go ahead. I, this is just crazy tripped out cat horror. 
and that creepy blonde girl uh, pulls out her own nail is going to haunt me forever. So thank you uh, for just destroying my nightmares. That was plenty gross, uh, and that stuff's interesting, but I'm just like, I don't quite understand what's happening in this book. It's a bit chaotic. I just see the cats crawling. I'm like, oh, something bad's about to happen, and then it does. So I like that, I guess. Yeah, this is a little too much for me in terms of I don't know exactly what's happening, to your point, Justin. But I do like the art. I think Lauren Braga's art is good. The creepy cats are good. Um, I just wish there was more clarity on the, the mythology. Speaking of which, why don't we kick it over to Doctor Strange number seven from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Pasquale Ferry. This is kicking off of a big last issue where he found out the villain of the series is a Doctor Strange who has lived through 5,000 years of war and become General Strange, been broken and decided, you know what? All of these bad magic users that I keep locking away in various capacities, what if I just killed them? And ultimately, (laughs) over the course of the issue, we have a bunch of twists and turns as our Doctor Strange deals with the understanding of that. Take it away. Uh, Justin, you're the McKay stan I'm Cray for McKay, as you Cray say. Cray for McKay. That's what I was. Yeah. The this book is is great. It's it feels like it's a much more um, sort of regimented and committed Doctor Strange. I like the Clea that Clea is very involved here, and it's about their relationship and how it's a little bit unreliable of a relationship because Clea is doing her own thing. And this new villain that we spent all of last issue introducing, uh, a strange who's been at war for 5,000 years, is awesome. I'm in. I think this, first off, the art is just absolutely amazing. The the color choices that are being made here are really uh, quite uh, beautiful. Some real spectacular panels. Um, Yeah, and then we have kind of like, Doctor Strange almost losing a little bit, but then being kind of talked down, and uh, but then he wants to save the child. Uh, I'm enjoying this. I feel like this is very interesting, and I think like it's a unique villain, so I'm interested to see how it all goes down. Peacemaker tries hard, number five from DC Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh. In this issue, Peacemaker and Red B are trying to track down Bruce Wade, the dog, to rescue him. This continues to be the funniest mainstream book on the stands, I would yeah. say. What do you guys think? I Definitely. love Red B. Uh, now, Alex, you just recently, when you were talking about Batman, noted the cracks in the armor of Batman. Do you feel like there are cracks in the armor of Bruce Wayne the dog as well? Or cracks in the fur? Uh, that's a say. great question. No, Bruce Wayne the dog is unimpeachable. He is perfect. Thank you. He knows what he wants. He knows how to get it. And he's going for it. Would you consider him the world's greatest dog detective? Always. <laughs> uh, this is a funny book, and uh, Red, the Red B character, I've really enjoyed the introduction Introduction of him. Yeah, this has some real badass covers. This is hilarious fun. Uh, love when they fought the Deathstroke babies. Uh, it's gro- gross over-the-top action, and uh, I love the brain and the dog. Um, this is good... Good times with Peacemaker. I'm having a blast with this. Uh, Please more. Thank you. Here, please stop. 
Thank you. The last issue of Survival Number 5 from Dark Horse Comics, written by Sean Lewis, art by Brendan Everett. This is a book that has been pitting survivalists against vampires of a sort, a new riff. And we get a big blowout here that turns the whole thing at least in the background, a little more into like a Red Dawn type situation, I would Mm -hmm. say. I love how balls to the wall the action has been in this book. It is wild. This is, we like Sean Lewis's stuff anyway, but generally his stuff, I think, like, tends to be a little heady. It tends to be a little more emotional. This is just 80s action thriller that still has that emotional grounding, particularly with our main female character. She is this uh, girl who has a brother and father who are caught in the middle of stuff. There's definitely some big emotional beats there, but it's just all about this wild action. And particularly this last issue, I thought it brought it together in a crazy way that definitely makes me want to read more. There's a great unforgettable panel in this where uh, the dude jumps through the, the windshield and oh another my God. dude like lights him up with a shotgun. I was like, that was dope. Great. Just frozen moment in time. I got a little confused by where it ended. And I was like, mm-hmm. is this the end? And maybe it's going to go someplace else. But uh, it felt a little, yeah, that's what I was singing. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt bad a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you got the dad trying to save the day, you know, but... Uh, you know that bad guy is dad's going to do that. Yeah, but the problem is the you know uh, bad guy's unkillable. It seems like so you know all for not, but super kind of emotional and nice. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I think just the action is so fun, and this is a unique idea. So really great art. This is a this is a tight package. Would you consider it super emotional, bananas? Uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, anytime a dad bites it, you get a little, you get a little emotional. Yeah. Oh, who's that guy crying in the banana aisle? Oh, that's Pete. He's super emotional bananas right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) X-Men number 26 for Marvel written by Jerry Dugan, art by Jim Tao and Javier Pina. In this issue, we are... Well, a lot of things are going down, but we're getting a broad overview of stuff happening with the X-Men. One of the things is Shadowcat has been gutting directly for Firestar. She promised the last issue she was going to kill Firestar for betraying them, even though she doesn't know that Jean Grey brainwashed the world into thinking that Firestar was a mole when she isn't actually. Meanwhile, Emma Frost has been hanging out with Tony Stark, pretending to be his assistant, Hazel Kendall. They've both been kind of undercover while they're fighting back against Orcus. Uh, And a bunch of other stuff is going on, but those are the two big main things I think we need to touch on in this issue. What do you guys think about this? Well, gosh, I'm just having so much fun with what's happening right now. I'll throw it over to you guys and just kind of let you guys talk. I texted you. I texted you and asked if you wanted to talk about this. You didn't have to talk about it. I did. I said, hey, let's talk about it. I had hopes that it would be interesting or cool or or something. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Dukes, um, but I think, you know, sometimes you get assignments that kind of uh, aren't 
things that you want to do, but maybe you got to <laughs> do. You don't think you he know? wants to do this? <laughs> I mean, how excited would you be to get X-Men? You're like, oh, my God, I'm fucking writing X-Men. And then like, yeah, but guess what? You got to deal with the fallout of fuck island blowing up and then all this other bullshit that we're going to make you here's about. what i think i think that garbage plate we've been talking about your sleep paralysis demon it has yeah. jerry dugan's face no wow no. the dukes in this no made out of hamburger meat and it's like no. crawling up your chest i'm i'm just looking forward to what's on the other side of this that's all Get ready. This is the next 15 years of your life. Justin, take it away. <laughs> um, I I like that uh, in the other book we're going to talk about in a minute, maybe, um, is – these are the big X Could be more right than now. a minute. You know what I mean? It could be any amount of time. These are the big X books right now, and these are the ones that are sort of driving the story. I like that they come out the same week, and then we get the satellite books to fill in and come back to the big moments. So that's just a love of the publishing schedule, I guess I could say. everything. Every comic book fan's favorite part. But yeah. for the characters uh, in here, I, I do – You know, I actually I got into comics for the publishing schedule. Yeah, that no, was no. that was the thing that initially drew me. I walked into the shop and I was like, "Hey, do you have a publishing schedule?" They're like, "Yeah, we also have comics." And I was like, "I don't know." Uh, not interested. Famously, yeah. never uh, delayed or anything. Yeah. The the Tony Stark, Emma Frost stuff that's been happening in uh, in the Iron Man book we read uh, last week or two weeks ago. I love that. We get sort of a less emotionally fleshed out version of that here. But I like where we're going and back to the Iron Man book. It's really having me look forward to that. Firestar and uh, Kate Pride, fun. The the book is be, is able to be fun, great action, and still pushing the story forward in a great way. I also like how every single artist, no matter what, draws Emma Frost's Hazel Kendall wig as about it's about to blow off in any yeah. second. Like it is, yeah. it is barely hanging on there. And I'm just like, why? She's fooling everyone. They're like, White Queen's <laughs> probably dead. I'm like, she's standing right there. She looks the same. She's wearing a wig that's like taped to her head. Yeah, it's ridiculous. She's wearing glasses. This isn't she's all that, guys. Poison uh, Ivy, nice. number 14, from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Marcio Takara. In this issue, Poison Ivy is continuing to try to track down more of this Lamia Spore thing that she's been dealing with the whole series. Meanwhile, her HR friend is going undercover to find out some information and it strikes up something interesting with Harley Quinn. Mm. As what do you think? Uh, I, this book continues to be great. This is like the DC uh, version of the Scarlet Witch book that we were big, or I was big upping earlier. This has that same, just like great character, great place for the character. There's this great, it's not, a, I wouldn't call it a love triangle, but like just a it's poison ivy at the center and these two women who are sort of around her. I like the way they, they occupy two very distinct places in the book. It's just been such a nice ride for this whole year we've been reading it. Yeah, it's got some real uh, intense covers. Uh, and then you had the creepy flower guy, um, fun Batman cameo. And I thought it was hilarious. The lady uh, hit somebody with her purse. That was just fun times. But uh and we have a, a kiss. Uh oh. Uh, so yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a great time with this. Like Justin is saying, this continues to take a lot of twists and turns and big swings, but all still feels very uh, poison ivy. So I'm having a blast with this. Yeah, I wonder if after the end of Riverdale, polyamory is the new hot. It's hitting. 
yeah, I guess we'll see. Barnstormers, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tula Lote. This is the last issue of this book, this Eisner-winning book, mm. as our main couple, our Bonnie and Clyde, is trying to escape from the lawmen who are after them. They pull a dangerous gambit. Does it pay off? You'll just have to read to find out. Oh, man, read the book. I this book did such a great job of filling us with two two things, filling us with dread for the main characters that I thought I won't spoil it, but I thought was paid off really well here in a nice like just microscope tunes in on the scene and we get to enjoy it. Uh, the other thing I really loved about this is the way it just was a love letter to like airplanes, barnstormers, like the it was about the history of them in, in a way that like it's not a thing anyone really talks about. I said this before, it reminds me of the Rocketeer, but it's still a very different, more historical place since the Rocketeer didn't actually happen, as far as I know. As far as I know. Prove yeah. me wrong or prove me right. Do they not teach that in your school? Because <laughs> we learned about it in fourth grade. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was great. Uh, I agree with what you guys are saying. I love the art style. It's got like some old-timey kind of coloring and shading, a softness to it, which is very cool and of a time period. Uh, I love the whole kind of idea of this book, uh, the fun uh, barnstormer lifestyle, the crazy ending. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I had a blast with this. I thought it was really well done. A lot of twists and turns that you don't see coming, which is great. Gorgeous art, great writing. One of my favorite things Scott Snyder has written in a long time. Definitely pick this up in the individual issues or in the inevitable trade. Immortal X-Men number 15 from Marvel, written by Kira Gillen, art by Paco Medina. Again, bunch of stuff going on in this issue, but the main thrust of it is that Sebastian Shaw, who is no longer a mutant, and Celine, who likes to eat people, are trying to get into Krakoa because Sebastian Shaw owns Krakoa, but Professor Xavier is not letting him on the grounds of Krakoa. He's got a beard. He's badass now. He just, like, takes people down if he has to. And meanwhile, 250,000 mutants are somewhere... They went through the Orcus gates. We don't know where they went, but they were being led by Exodus, Hope, and Kind of Destiny. In this issue, they bump into accidentally, question mark, Mother Righteous, and find Krakoa is in this place where they are. Lots of mysteries upon mysteries. Justin, what did you think about this one? Yeah, this which is the book you were talking about earlier. I was talking about a minute ago. You yeah, teed this, it up. Yeah, you, you teed I teed it, up. it up. This book is such a logistics book it's like oh you want to know how they're surviving the desert well they've got um clothes making mutants they've got water gathering mutants i was like this is some real deep shit going on this is i love it i love it i love resource management i've said that a million times it's great i'm so happy about it agreed this is like to your point in all seriousness this is very much Kieran Gillen be like, I play D&D, and in yeah. my D&D campaign, yeah. here's how this would work if you have any questions. Yeah, and then, but we also get some of the big characters, like the Mother Righteous stuff. I feel like she was maybe behind all the uh, Wolverine clones that get popped. Probably. Uh, they're, they're very specific with their saying that they're popped, which I thought was like, okay, sure, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Uh, the Professor X stuff is also really interesting. The idea that he's one man defending the, the Pacific Krakoan Island, I believe. And he's just like making a stand. 
The Sebastian Shaw, Celine stuff, still don't know exactly what that is, and I find it strange that they're working for Orcus, but okay. Yeah, um, you know, fun start with Celine eating people, you know, and then all the Logans were killed. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. Shazam number three from DC Comics written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. In this issue, we find out exactly what has been going on with Shazam and why he's been lashing out at people on social media, specifically the Shazam gods. The ones that spell out his name have been controlling him one by one because they're tired of being in the background. They want to kind of be in the foreground. And this issue, Atlas takes over and uses his power to manipulate Billy. Um, Thoughts on this from the panel? (laughs) I don't know. I always say, what do you guys think? And I want to shake it up a little bit. Okay. Well, uh, I think this is a fun uh, issue. There's a great mix of like kid and superhero stuff. I love the tree with the top hat monocle. That was hilarious. Uh, Cool last page uh, teaser of what's to come. Art is uh, super typing in. Really nice, clean art that I think feels like uh, childlike in the way we want Shazam to be, but also yeah. just great superheroics as well. Uh, I, I'm curious, like, what do you, Mark Wade? I feel like, I feel like he's, he's such a master of comics, but he's been doing sort of very specific little pops into different books. What do you think his deal is? Don't what, say, what's uh, this? don't say pop. Yeah. He pops Wolverines like a little blue. Stop. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> like he's a pimple. Like, he, like a pimple. He, oh, well, Wolverine, like a, um, a little bub pimple. Mm-hmm. Ghost bub on your cheek. <laughs> the uh, but I'm just Mark Wade. I feels like he's just like pinpointing the different books that he's worked on lately, and I I'm curious what he's got going on. Yeah, Do you I don't think know. there's a a bigger thing that he's doing. Like if you kind of you know had like a murder board going on or something. That's where what you I'm saying. Connect all the. This the, is my the, Skinwalker. It's my Wade Walker. Oh yeah, <laughs> now we're talking. I like this book. This is a really solid Shazam book. Like we always talk about, Mark Wade knows what he's doing around a comic. Dan Moore's art is great. Why don't we move on and talk about Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number nine from Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Leila Del Duca. In this issue, our two main characters trying to track down what's going on with the weird green gas that has infected their paradise or otherwise paradise. We get some potential answers here, or at least emotional answers about what's going on. Now, bigger topic about this that came up in our Patreon Slack, there were a number of people that felt like they really loved the first two arcs, and this arc, they're not 100% sure where it's going. Now that we kind of know where it's going, how do you feel about this, and do you agree? Pete, you're nodding your head yes here. Well, I was nodding my head about the first part, of what you're saying but yeah this is uh, this is kind of madness ensuing here and things are falling apart and uh it sucks because i was really this whole relationship was the best part of this post-apocalyptic nightmare and if this falls apart then what do we have why are we reading this book so i'm just a kind of I'm scared and worried about uh, what's going to happen to these two uh, interesting individuals that kind of we got at the beginning of all this. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, when they, they fall apart, then the kind of love of the comic kind of falls apart. So I'm a little worried about what's going to go down. Um, mm. 
but yeah, it was a it was an easier ride and, and a lot more fun in the beginning. And then, but you know, relationships get tough, you know, and uh, especially in the post apocalyptic world, it's gonna put stress on your relationship, you know. Well, I think that's what's interesting about this book to me is it feels like you know at first it felt like just like oh a, an unlikely love story in a horrible place, and there was some mm-hmm. like sort of magic magical realism elements to it. And now it feels like it's actually a metaphor for relationships. And I love that. Like they're able to, Jason Aaron's able to uh, like tell this story that is a simultaneously like an interesting narrative about what there's paradise they built, the, the way it became like a, a utopia, a relationship utopia where everyone just got to do whatever they want that fulfilled them sexually and, and, and interpersonally. And now it like as it's falling apart, it's dream logic a bit and it, it it's slipping to metaphor and to hit both of those things at the same time in, you know, a 22 page or 30 page comic, or whatever is amazing. And so I, this is another one of my favorite books uh, that is currently out there. I agree with you, Justin. What really struck me in this issue is that is that metaphor level. I think that you're talking about, it reminds me a little bit of sex criminals kind of in terms of it started with this clear concept of like, here's our across the board concept. It's a sci-fi concept that you get in sex criminals. Like when people ejaculate, they freeze time and they're going to rob a bank doing that. You're like, okay, that's good. But ultimately it was more about what Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky wanted to say about relationships and how relationships go uh, long-term here. This is the same thing with Jason Aaron and Leila Del Duca, where we so clearly get beyond the point where you're nonstop having sex with a person, what happens next? Like, what yeah. happens next? And there's a bunch of different ways you can go to your relationship, but in terms of this relationship, they start to hit this repetitive routine of they have their jobs and they have their various things to do and they're looking for the thing that's wrong in their relationship and what they ultimately realize is it's each other. They are a spoiler for the end of the issue here, but they are the monster in each other's relationship. Where does that take them next? Do they get past this? Do they work past this? Given that we've seen flashes of the future, probably not. Oh, come on, man. Well, but I think we don't know what the statement on love and relationships is. And it feels like there's going to be a big one by the end of this, but taking your point even further, like, like when you the the moment at the end of this book where they see each other and they have monstrous faces is so well done, and it is like when you're not getting along with someone that you're in a relationship with, you can't see what you fell in love with. The beauty there, you see just all the horrible things that you've done to each other, and I, just the metaphor level there is so good and just really snuck up on you because mm-hmm. you're in this world. And it's interesting; it's set in apocalypse, like how every Everyone before they're in love is in like sort of a vast skate hellscape, you may want to say, but just like a desert. Then you find that person and you're in paradise. And then if that falls apart or you find a way through it, and then in the flashes we've seen in the future, they're just battle scarred because they've been through it all in the same way. Like in a relationship, you take on all these things and you work it out and maybe you don't. And it's just really, really smart, smart book. Yeah. The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number 10 from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Carmine Domenico and Francesco Francavilla. In this issue, we're finally getting the answer of what's going on with these two Jokers. It is 
maybe exactly what you thought, but that's okay in terms of the answer. I won't necessarily ruin it. We'll see if that happens over the course of our discussion. But mm. there's a neat little twist with the structure of the book in terms of the front story and backstory yeah. that happens here as our Joker, who is back in Gotham City, tries to figure out whether he's the real one or the other one is the real one. Again, we ultimately kind of get an answer here. Uh, what do you guys think about this issue? Well, first off, you love some, this book, Pete. This is one of your yeah, faves. Yeah, scary ass covers, uh, especially the face one, what really freaked me the fuck out. It's amazing stories here. You get uh, more and more kind of twisted uh, Joker taking people out. Uh, really love the art style for the backup as well. But yeah, this uh, continues to be such a kind of great idea played out and uh i'm nervously excited to see how this is all gonna go down but so far so good yeah the the reveal i i didn't hadn't thought of it but it's it does make a lot of sense i won't say it also and i think that was really well done made especially better by the the way they they meld the stories together i thought something we speculated how are these two sides of this book comment on each other and i think this was the final intersection in a great way and it's just really smartly written i mean our guy Bergy crushing it last but not least buffy the last vampire slayer number oh, two from doom studios written by cassie gilly art buffy, by the last casey. comic book in our there stack uh, Casey Gilly, excuse me, art by Oriel Roig and Nicola Izzo. This is following two plot lines. One, we get the new Slayer, who is Thessaly, the daughter of Willow and Tara. And she's got magic, and she's got Slayer stuff as well. She's being trained kind of by Anya. Meanwhile, Buffy, who is older now, and Spike are off on a vacation together. So you got these two trains running. Um, I think we were a little mixed about the first issue here, what did you think about the second one? The I, I like I really like half of this book. I really mm-hmm. like the the Spike Buffy stuff. I think is great. It's really nice. It's really sweet. The, there's still drama there. The other half of it to me is a little messy, a little all over the place. So I and it feels like if they were set on separately, maybe we could enjoy them more. And there was more space for the the Thessaly stuff because I think it needs more space. It feels a little chaotic. uh, But the Buffy stuff, I think, is really great. I had like a little bit of a Lost Boys feel to me when they were kind of at the carnival and stuff with some of the uh, paneling, which was fun. I really love the look of this comic. It's really nice. Um, You know, I'm not the hugest uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, but, uh, you know, I'm having this is enjoyable. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I agree with you, Justin. I was trying to suss out whether the Buffy Spike thing I like better because we know those characters. But ultimately, I think just the emotionality of what's going on in those scenes is stronger than what's happening yeah. in the Thessaly streams. I really like the idea of Thessaly. I really like her as a character. I like the situations. I like the setup. I like her relationship with Anya. I think that's interesting. But like you're saying, I think it just needs to be one or the other. It needs more room because you have these two trains running and they're not quite connecting thematically. As Also, yet. you shouldn't throw knives at your friends. 100% agree. That's the and, t- and that's the lesson for why. today's comic book club, The Stack. 
Yes, unless, of course, they are the garbage plate that is crawling up you, in which case, throw a knife and throw a fork at them and go to town. What's your meal, Alex, before we go? What's your meal oh, that's yeah. your sleep paralysis demon that's going to kill oh, you at night? Gosh, yeah. probably a pepperoni and olive pizza. Oh, oh. oh, oh, oh. so gross. <laughs> look, oh. look how different we are. <laughs> oh, my God, that is gross. I'm never allowed to order that because nobody oh. else likes olives at my house, but it's my favorite pizza. Black olives and pepperoni. Oh. I love a black oh. olive as well. I'm with you. Oh, we are alike don't in that put way. Olives on a pizza, man. Wait, what about you, Justin? I guess just a giant bowl of hot, hot ramen. <laughs> <laughs> Crawling on my body. If you like to support the show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come back out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X, comic book live on TikTok and in the TikToks and the Instagram. Let's get out of TikTok. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Join Alex and-